When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. How's your Thursday going so far? On the agenda today, two doctors arrested by the fraud squad after allegedly overclaiming more than €300,000 from the HSE here in the Midlands. Ashling Murphy's name is brought into the immigration debate in the Dáil. You'll hear what happened yesterday. Also, a pensioner assaulted during a burglary in Kilbegan. And we need your help to try and trace those responsible. Details coming up at half past nine. When you call 0818 300 103, that's my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. I will give you one little bit of good news that's not on the front pages. If you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a house, if you're trying to buy and you're just getting frustrated because supply is so tight, the number of home completions last year was at a 15-year high. So while it has been painfully slow to turn the ship, it seems finally progress is being made. Uh, completions up 14.5% year on year. Probably still not anywhere remotely close to what we need, especially if population forecasts are accurate. Probably going to be 50,000 a year ongoing after we clear the backlog, never mind before. Anyway, while on the subject of property, the Irish Independent tells us the European Central Bank will cut rates this year, but it's not going to be in March, as many had hoped. Rates, as you know, went up again and again. What was it, ten times in a row from July of 2022? And all of that is passed on to you if you're a tracker mortgage customer. Most of it probably if you're a variable rate customer. The forecast is the July meeting of the European Central Bank is when prices will start to fall. And one other story relating to housing. In the Irish Times, there are more than 21,000 homes delayed because of appeals either to onboard Planola or in court challenges. So that's nearly six months' supply because of objections. And it's always a difficult one. Sometimes government talks about streamlining the process, making it more difficult to object. That's all very well and good. But if you live next door and you have a genuine reason, you don't want your voice to be silenced. Then again, if somebody lives on the other end of the island and they're complaining for frivolous reasons, do you really want to give them space as well? It's a difficult balance. Anyway, what else is happening in the news today? RTE Toy Story The Musical. So it turns out the RTE board didn't sign off on the venue, which was Dublin's convention centre. It also turns out Based on the number of shows they planned to hold, 
they were never going to break even, and that should have been apparent early on. And in the end, the project went on to record losses of 2.2 million euro. And the case has been made here and elsewhere that, yeah, sometimes you have to speculate to accumulate. There's risk in business and you have to take a punt on a new project occasionally. But you do it with your eyes open. And if the evidence suggests you're going to lose money at the outset, you certainly go to your boss, you go to your board, you make sure they approve. Anyway, that's on the front of the Irish Times. The Irish Independent. GPs in fraud probe allegedly overclaimed €300,000 from HSE. It says, The two doctors have been arrested, one in his 40s, the other in his 50s, who allegedly submitted claims for two separate treatment types at a Midlands surgery more than 60 times the average number for those treatments. So... It seemed to be a hotspot for whatever this treatment was. Doesn't really give the detail in the Irish Independent. Hopefully we can find out more a little bit later on the programme. Also on the front of the paper, Brian Dobson, retiring after 37 fantastic years in RTE, he says. And what he is doing next, well, who knows. But he will be on your TV screen until April, after which he will bow out. Now, what else is on the front pages today? Irish Examiner. It's up to politicians to take action on drug use. So the Citizens' Assembly is moving in a direction that's probably going to recommend a decriminalised model where if you are in possession of a small amount of an illegal drug that you should not have a criminal blemish on your record. And the chair of the Citizens' Assembly, Paul Reid, yes, the same Paul Reid who used to be CEO of the HSE, he wants politicians to have a bit of courage and he says it will take courage to follow this through. Uh, One more story from the front of the the Irish Sun. I'm keen. Roy is interested in the main gig with the FAI. And in a poll of its readers, the Irish Sun says he would be backed by Irish football supporters. Do you want to see Roy Keane take over as Republic of Ireland boss? And who else is in the hunt? And who else deserves the job? On text on WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Story that you haven't heard much about in recent weeks it was a huge global outrage when the panel fell off a Boeing 737 on its flight in the United States and suddenly there was fear, hang on, the 737 MAX has been in trouble before, are Boeing taking shortcuts? And then all of a sudden, poof, heard nothing about it. So the update is carried in the Irish Times today. The regulator in the United States has told Boeing not to stop building the 737 MAX, but not to increase the rate at which it's building. Boeing was hoping to make 36, excuse me, 38 of these planes every single month. Now they're being told to slow down their output a little bit. And that would seem to be it. According to FAA Administrator Mike Whittaker, this won't be back to business as usual. 
for Boeing. We will not agree for an expansion in production until we're satisfied quality controls uncovered during this process are resolved. All right. Dave Fanning is in the headlines today. The broadcaster is apparently suing after his image was wrongfully attached to a story about an unnamed broadcaster on trial for sexual offences and it had no connection to Dave Fanning whatsoever. So it turns out artificial intelligence was aggregating news stories and somehow the AI made a very serious boo-boo and plucked Dave Fanning's picture and put it alongside this story. So, AI still has a lot to learn, and that's going to be a very expensive lesson. It's a horrible, horrible accusation to have levelled against somebody. If his picture is attached to a story of a sexual abuse, God love him. That is distressing. So, he rightly took a legal case. That's in the Irish Times, if you want to read more. Rory Cowan is very disappointed after his exit from Dancing with the Stars. He was the first to go last Sunday. The first two weeks there were no eliminations. And he was improving and actually he didn't finish bottom of the scores from the judges last week. And the reason he's disappointed apart from being ejected early is that he was planning to make a return as Rory from Mrs Brown's Boys and his dance partner was going to dress up as admittedly a very skinny Agnes Brown. And he was going to parade out and I think if he had done that sooner he'd still be in the competition because there was no way he would have been voted off by rekindling Mrs Brown's boys. And even the BBC had given the clearance for it. It was all lined up and he says, just one more week. That's all he needed was one more week. Unfortunately, it ain't going to happen. That's in the sun if you want to read more. So that sums up, I think, most of the stories of interest today. Um just random other stuff Ian Bailey apparently he died penniless says the Irish Independent he just left his clothes his books and his case files on the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier weatherwise Met Aaron is telling us heavy rain and thundery downpours are on the way tonight and even a risk of some spot flooding come the morning and watch out temperatures will get down to freezing so yeah tomorrow's Travel conditions could be quite treacherous. Two opticians from the Midlands have just returned from India after providing eye care to two and a half thousand people. That was a very busy trip abroad. Next, the pensioner assaulted during a burglary in Kilbegan. Can you help find those responsible? Disagree? Feel free. Text or WhatsApp Midlands today yeah. on 083 3010 103. Midlands 103. Still on the agenda today, Ashling Murphy's name is mentioned during a Dole debate on immigration. Leo Varadkar and Deputy Marion Harkin. Here's a sample from that. And in relation to. Just Deputy, please. Let the Taoiseach. Let the Taoiseach respond. Deputy, let the Taoiseach respond. In relation to your remarks about me, I I have engaged in this debate. I probably engage in it every other day uh, in my constituency, in this House and in this media. Uh, Only a few weeks ago, uh, I wrote a detailed article uh, published in the Sunday Independent setting out what our immigration policy is and was, 
what the facts were and what they were not. And I'll keep doing that. But I need a bit of help. I need a bit of help from people in this house who... who, 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 who oh, you're not. Uh, sorry, sorry, Ken. Sorry. You'll hear that exchange in full after 10. A pensioner has been assaulted during a burglary in Kilbegan. Now, let's see if we can raise some awareness and hopefully track down those responsible. Sinead Hubble is uh, here with the details. Sinead, what happened? So this man who's in his 80s uh, lives on the main street in Kilbegan and around one o'clock on Tuesday morning um, he was assaulted in his own home and he was taken to hospital for his injuries. And how's he doing now? He was discharged from hospital but obviously he's shaken from what happened. And the Garda investigation, how much do we know? So we know that a sum of cash was taken during this incident and that a technical examination of the scene has been carried out and that they're appealing for witnesses to anybody who was in the area on the main street of Kilbegan around one o'clock on Tuesday morning. Well, they're saying between midnight and 3am and anyone who noticed anything suspicious or anything unusual in the area to come forward and get in touch and anyone who has dash cam or CCTV footage. Sinead, thank you very much. Liam McDaniel is a member of Westmeath County Council, represents the area. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Will, and good morning to your listeners. What's frightening, well, there are many frightening aspects to this, but it's not in a remote rural location. The main street is where this happened. What's been the reaction locally? Well, yeah, well, firstly, um, Will, look, I personally know the victim of this serious offence and assault, and I just like to wish him a full and speedy recovery. Uh, The local reaction is one of shock. Shock that a major crime like this took place, as you say, on the main street in Kilbegan, and that an elderly citizen was targeted, assaulted and robbed. You know, we are shocked. It's one of shock. And And I would um, agree and ask uh, anyone with information, however small, it may be relevant, uh, camera footage, dash cam footage to contact the Gardaí it's important that these criminals are apprehended that they're charged and they're sentenced to prison that's how I see it And is this an isolated incident or have there been other break-ins in the area of late? Not that I know of uh, I would say this was um, look, well no, 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 no different than any other area, we would have our share of uh, minor um, you know, minor incidents and things like that that are dealt with by the local Gardaí, but this would be a serious, we wouldn't have uh, serious uh, assaults or serious robberies like this, or targeted, this was a targeted robbery in my opinion. So, are you satisfied with the level of policing in the town? Again, we're not talking a rural area, you'd imagine there would be regular patrols. Well, look, Kilbegan has Kilbegan is a, has a station, and there's I won't say there's full time manning in the station. Uh, it's no different than anywhere. Uh, look, the biggest problem with the Gardaí at the moment at the moment is probably lack of resources in terms of uh, numbers. But um, you know there is a presence in Kilbegan, and I I will say that the local Gardaí who are there. To uh, do a good job and communicate well with the and are in, you know, good good communication mm. with the locals. It covers like other areas, like Kilbegan Station covers out to, Cas- to Castletown Gag and Horsley, parts of Streamstown, Rahu. So it's a wide area, you know, or a wide rural area. 
this poor man. Now, obviously, he'll be quite shaken when he does come back out and, and into the house. Does he have um, family around, uh, good neighbours? Well, yeah, he'll have good neighbours. And again, that's what I would ask, that, you know, uh, 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 in all areas, you know, that people are alert and look out for, in, in particular, their elderly neighbours, you know, and that uh, people not be afraid to report anything suspicious, you know, and if you see something suspicious, report it. It may have relevance to something, you know, so I'd encourage people to to report. And uh, I suppose the other thing, you know, in that we did have a, a, a text alert system up and running in, in the area, and it covered all them areas I've mentioned, and there was good number, numbers in it, and it was working very well. But I think COVID probably set that back a bit, so it probably needs... The, the refresh button to be pressed on it and get it up and running again, you know, that people will get back into that mode of being alert and watching out for, for suspicious things and reporting them. Well, our thoughts are very much with him. Hopefully anybody in the area, maybe with dash cam footage that seems incidental, but maybe they'll send it on to the Gorthy and it could be the critical piece of this puzzle. Liam, thank you for yeah. your time. Uh, thank you, Well, Thanks for that. And just to reiterate, this happened. Main Street, Kilbegan, early hours of yesterday morning and Gorthy are asking anybody who is in the Main Street area, anybody who may have dash cam footage between midnight and 3am to come forward. So even if you were driving in that area and you saw nothing, perhaps the camera picked something up. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103 Hilda says Leo Varadkar might be better advised to write in the tabloids rather than the independent. The far right doesn't read anything more challenging than the sun and friends. It's bite-sized fear-mongering they're seeking, she says. Well, the only backing Roy Keane would get is from United supporters. And look at how United are doing at the moment. So that's somebody who does not wish to see Roy Keane take over the helm of the Republic of Ireland. And he might not, but the Irish Sun has polled their readers today and they're saying mm, they would back him. Would you? When you think of spec savers, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Aside from that you should have gone there, of course. Is Kolkata in India a connection you would make? Well, two Opticians from the Midlands travelled there with the Hope Hospital Eye Clinic to administer eye care to nearly 2,500 people. And for many, it was their first time to see an optician. After dispensing 1,900 glasses in 11 locations across the region, optometrist director Keith McCallion and ophthalmologist director Kate Kelly eventually returned home. Keith caught up with Midlands 103's Rachel Timoney to explain how he got involved in such an adventure to begin with. My experience have been working with the Hope Foundation, um, and the Hope Foundation is a charity that um, works with uh, street communities in Kolkata, and um, they're an Irish charity as well. So Spike Service have been working with them since 2017, and in 2018, they were going over for a trip for a week to get a test, and they needed a um, I just put my name in, and so went in 2018, 2019, and then I went again last year in 2023. 
what inspired you to go in the first place and what has kept you going back to Kolkata? The reason I went in the first place was it was just you know a good thing to do and I knew it would be interesting and it would be quite different to you know our experience of testing eyes in a in a nice kind of quiet private room as opposed to you know Kolkata and working with uh, the people who live on, on the streets on you it would be a really different experience um so that, that that's why I was inspired to go in the first instance and then I kept going back because it was a it was a good experience we you know we did really really good work and we saw people you know people getting their glasses there and then and being delighted and yeah that's what just kept me going back it was a really good thing to do um so hard weeks work you know we would be doing clinics during the day and then sometimes at night as well so um it wasn't wasn't an easy an easy week it wasn't a holiday but um it was just a really good thing to do and you know us taking a week out of our time to do something that can make a difference between whether somebody can actually have a job and feed their family you know it's that's an easy give for us that can make a big difference to them and can you describe the the kind of work that you did over there what was the day-to-day like well uh, in 23 there was 25 of us actually went and so we get picked up in a, in a buses and we get brought to wherever clinics were going to be so they're in different places around the city sometimes they'd be in a there was like a school building one day and then other days it was just literally out by the side of the road or um, we do a clinic. So the clinics would probably run for about six hours during the day um, and we'd just be doing eye tests. Same sort of eye tests you do at home except we'd have to do things much more quickly and instead of one person doing every test, we had different stations. So one person would do the first part of the test and then the patient would move on to the next one. So it was much more of a kind of um volume driven um experience so yeah we would do about six hours during the day and then some of the evenings we'd go back out then and do two or three hours um at night in a different part of the city so um they were fairly full on days and um, you're tired enough at the end of it now but um yeah it was, it was really good to do that and for a lot of the people when we get tested their eyes like needed glasses they were fairly straightforward we actually had a massive supply of fairly straightforward glasses there so we got the glasses right away and then for people whose prescription was a little bit more complex we were able to order up their glasses and then they'd be given the glasses then two weeks later so you know we were able to kind of treat everyone I suppose and then if anyone had any eye disease like there's a lot of cataracts over there we were able then to refer them to the, the Hope Foundation own hospital and they actually do cataract operations there so where we refer people to get cataract operations done. Uh, I remember in 2018, we saw a lady on the Tuesday, saw that she had a cataract, and she had the cataract operation done then on the Thursday, so two days later, um, and it was all funded by the charity. And uh, if you had any, did you have any free time over there? Uh, did you get to explore the area? Uh, no, <laughs> we didn't. It was, a, it was very much a, a working trip. Um, we arrived on Saturday morning at about it was around six, seven o'clock, and we were out doing a clinic that evening at about six o'clock. Uh, and then every day, as I say, we did one or two clinics. So the only kind of free time we had was one of the evenings we went just walked down the street. There was a bit of a market on, but that was it. You know, everyone was early working to put in the hours, so that's that's what we did. So it was a long week. Uh, but what did you think of the area just from from working there? What what was the atmosphere like? 
Kokoda Road is um, oh, such a busy place. It's busy, loud, you know, there's horns beeping, there's the traffic's crazy and people everywhere and such a buzz around it. So it is a great city. It, it, you know, there's a lot of life around it. Um, you know, unfortunately, some of the areas that we were doing the clinics in, they were kind of slum communities. So people living in, you know, really terrible conditions in some parts. You know, a lot of people living on the streets as well. So, you know, unfortunately, we got to see more of the not so nice part of the city. Um, but again, you know, the communities were, were very welcoming, you know, um, really friendly and really happy that we were there. And as I say, the Hope Foundation and work that they do in those communities has improved the, those people's lives massively. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it, was, it was really kind of stark the first time I was there. It was quite shocking, but like anything, you get used to seeing it and you realise that, you know, it's just pure luck that we don't, you know, we don't have to kind of live in those sort of conditions. And so by going over there and doing what we can to try and help these people, that's all you can do, really. And what have you learnt from your trips uh, over and back to Kokata? Hmm. Um, I suppose that there's there's a lot of a lot of good in the world. And um, as I say, the Hope Foundation is a fantastic charity itself, and the people who work for it, like I said, it's mainly you know it's people from Kokata who work in in the hospital and work in the clinics that they do eye clinics throughout the years, not just when we're there. And and what they've done with the, the communities, like they set up lots of schools so they're providing loads of education and. There's lots of homes for like boys and girls who are, you know, who are homeless and a lot of them orphaned. So, you know, I've learned that even when there's, when times are really hard, there's still a lot of good people out there doing a lot of really good work. So, you know, as I say for us, it's just a week out of our year. It's not a big give at all. That's the people who are doing it day in, day out as their their job. That's where the real goodness is. So, you know, I think, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned um, from that. And I've also learned that, you know, when we go over there, we set up these clinics in, in these rooms that usually aren't the right size and not the right shape, and they don't have the facilities we need. So, you know, we'd have to very much think on our feet and set up a set up a, a testing station and get going. And then if it didn't work, you know, 10 to 20 minutes on this, we'd have to kind of rejig it. And, you know, we didn't have the luxury of, planning and time and all the stuff we have here that we take for granted whereas over there you just had to make do with what you did make do with what you had and um just get on with it and it teaches you to be a bit less i suppose to make about things and be grateful for what you do have and uh is it just kolkata that that you have been to or would you be interested in going to other regions of the world to, to do this work uh, well, as I said, it was because of the connection with the Hope Foundation. Um, one of our directors and Brexit was Lisa Walsh, she's the director in Lithia Valley. She made the connection with the Hope Foundation and Kolkata is the only place that they, that they work in. So, you know, so for the foreseeable, we wouldn't be doing it anywhere else. It's just because when we went over, they facilitated us bringing us to the clinics, bringing us to the areas that they work with. Um, you know, it could be could be done in other places, no bother, I'm sure, but um, that's, that's for the foreseeable, that's the only area that we'll be doing with it. And my final question, uh, what would you say to anybody else 
uh, either planning on doing exactly what you were doing or doing uh, something similar going off to Kolkata or to another region to, to try and help? What what kind of tips would you have for anyone planning on, on doing something like that? Um, I'd say like it's, it's a great thing to do. It is, it is um, it's a nice thing for yourself, you know, so it's, it's, it's really good to be able to do something that you, that you can do. I, I know, as I say, the people who are there working with these people day in day out are doing a lot more than we do. But you know, no matter how small the help you give is, it still happens in some way. Um, so you know, it, it's definitely out of it was definitely something that was beyond my comfort zone. Um, so leading up to the first visit, I was I was quite worried about the whole thing. And when I first landed, as I say, the the noise of the place and it was it was just a bit overwhelming. But you just get on with it and you know everyone you know everyone's more resilient than than they think so i'd say to anyone if you're kind of half thinking of doing something just do it you know there's you, you can it's very easy to talk yourself out of these things but um i found it a really really good thing to do and i'd say it's just it was a week of our time and when we went over there we we, we paid for our own flights we we paid for our own hotel like we didn't raise money to go we we did it off you know on our own backs um it was a great thing to be able to just do something and, and help people. And fair play. That's Keith McCallion, who, along with Kate Kelly, ventured to Kolkata in India. Speaking there with Midlands 103's Rachel Timoney. Spotted a story that might interest you. It will certainly interest somebody I know here. Hmm. Bubbly, bubbly, toil and trouble. Come on in here. Come on in. Because. According to science, the best way to make tea is, rather absurdly, to add salt to it. Yes. And we're going to try it out on you a little bit later. And there's another of all the concoctions I'll put in your tea as well. Now, I've heard of people picking up a sachet, thinking it's sugar, Mm. putting salt in by accident and then regurgitating their tea. We're not talking that much salt, I hope. No, we're not talking a pinch of salt. So, mission, if you don't mind, head out, find a location where you can maybe get a barista. Okay. Put it to the test. No problem. Report back. We'll find some guinea pigs. I look forward to it. Thanks, Sinead. Thank you. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands 103. Still on the agenda today... RTE knew it was going to lose over €2 million of your money on Toy Show the Musical and seems to have gone ahead anyway. Should you take your tea with a pinch of salt or is it the new research that needs the pinch of salt? And new prices for certain cars are being slashed by up to €12,000. Where does that leave existing owners with second-hand values? When you call 0818 300 103 is my number, text or WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore, the number is 083 30 10 103. The tragic death of Ashling Murphy should not be used in a debate about immigration. That's the message from the Taoiseach after independent TD Marion Harkin called for a debate on women's safety in light of large numbers of men coming into the country. Slovakian Josef Pushka was convicted of 
the 23-year-old school teacher's murder by a unanimous jury verdict last November. Deputy Harkin believes it's time to have the tough conversation. And here's what she said in the Dáil. Today I just want to raise one issue with you. The national conversation, and it's a difficult one, but it's the national conversation around single men who are seeking asylum. And the specific situation whereby some communities have said they will welcome and integrate families, but not groups of single men. Now the knee-jerk reaction is, this is unacceptable, it's racist, these are far-right tropes. But I'm asking for a little bit of reflection and to cast your mind back just two years ago when thousands of visceral statements from so many Irish women followed the horrific murder of Ashling Murphy. And I still remember some of the comments from Minister Anne Rabbit, who said in this house, she said, not all men, but all women grow up knowing they are not safe. Not all men, but all women know the feeling that creeps up your back when you hear steps behind you and you have to check. And she told us, by simply existing, women's lives are at risk from men they know and men they do not know. So Taoiseach, we believed women two years ago when they made these statements about Irishmen. So I'm asking you, why do we not at least entertain those statements from women now when they say that the idea of 30, 40, 50, whatever, single asylum seekers arriving in their town or village, living three or four to a room, no family connections, nothing to do most of the time. Why do we not take on those concerns as genuine? Now, let me be crystal clear. There is no evidence, zero evidence, none, 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 that they pose any greater threat than 80 Irishmen. But many women have said to me, and I believe them, that they would say the same thing about 80 Irishmen in the same circumstances. Taoiseach, I'm not saying there's no racism involved here. We all need to question ourselves. But this heightened concern is real. So I'm just asking you, I'm asking you to listen, to engage, and to believe. I'm asking you to have the debate warts and all. And I'm asking you to manage this in a reasonable and rational way so that we can honour our commitments and bring communities with us. I have to be honest with you, I, I, I am quite disappointed uh, in the question you asked. Uh, and I can see the faces of many people around this house um, who I think agree with me. I think the killing and the death of Ashing Murphy was one of those events that really touched the nation. I remember it so well. And I remember the outpouring of grief for that young woman uh, who was killed uh, in the way she was. Uh, and I remember the anniversary uh, only a few weeks ago. Um, and I really think to connect that to a debate about international protection and migration is really wrong. Uh, really wrong. Um, uh, the evil person who killed poor Ashling Murphy uh, was an EU citizen, had been in the country for the best part of 10 years, working and paying taxes. That's how he acquired his rights to social welfare and other things. Uh, and sadly, he turned on that girl for whatever reason he did and killed her. But to connect that to international protection and refugees coming to this country, whether they're genuine or not, it's really wrong, Deputy. Like, really, Deputy, don't bring our country down into that spiral. Please don't. Taoiseach, you're disappointed. I'm disappointed that you didn't engage. 
I'm disappointed that you didn't respond to the real concerns that I hear from people. And this is dividing people. I mean, I won't be lectured. He shook the last public meeting that I attended. There were vile slurs spoken against migrants, and I was the only public rep who called them out. And let me tell you, Taoiseach, there were members of your own party at that meeting who shut their mouths. But I didn't, because I won't listen to it. But equally, when members of my community express what they feel are genuine concerns, I won't close my ears. And I expect this House, as the House that represents the people of Ireland, to take this on board. We can't just have the one narrative. We can't just have only one perspective. Sadly, people from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of genders and all sorts of races and religions and colours commit crimes. But to conflate crime and violence against women in particular uh, with migration, I think, is profoundly wrong and profoundly dangerous. Yes, you did, Deputy. Yes, 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 you, yes, you, yes, you did, Deputy. Yes, you did, Deputy. And, and in relation to... Just Deputy, please. Let the Taoiseach... Let the Taoiseach respond. Deputy, let the Taoiseach respond. In relation to your remarks about me, I, I have engaged in this debate. I probably engage in it every other day. Uh, in my constituency, in this House, and in this media. Uh, only a few weeks ago, uh, I wrote a detailed article uh, published in the Sunday Independent, setting out what our immigration policy is and was, what the facts were and what they were not. And I'll keep doing that. But I need a bit of help. I need a bit of help from people in this House who... who, 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 who oh, you're not. Uh, sorry, sorry, Ken. Sorry. At which point the Taoiseach sat down. Which of them speaks more closely for your view and does either, in fact, hit the point as far as you're concerned. 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. But for the record, Marion Harkin is an independent TD in Sligo Leitrim. Leo Varadkar, obviously the Fine Gael leader in Taoiseach, he's based in Dublin. There may be some differing views depending on where you live even on this issue. But the name Ashling Murphy is very sensitive here in the Midlands. There is no denying that and already there are some who have said that it should not be a case of Ashling being raised in the Dáil unless her family allow it. Paul in Tullamore says I have been to Slovakia. The people I met there were very nice. Another caller said the deputy just said it's the circumstances and personally I'm more worried about self-serving, self-assured, white Irish males harassing people outside of direct provision centres. Will Leo Varadkar is not worthy to mention the name Ashling Murphy. Marion Harkin was brilliant. We need more people like her. So, I'd like to know what you thought of that exchange and whose side you would be on. Or is there a middle ground between the two? Still on the agenda today, a new library and art centre for the Midlands, given the green light. More details in around 15 minutes. 
Should you have a pinch of salt in your tea? Is that the best way to bring out the flavour? In motoring news, Volkswagen cutting the price of some new cars by €12,000. But where does that leave existing owners with second-hand values? And RTE recording a loss of €2.2 million Euro of your money on Toy Show the Musical. Did they know in advance how much it was going to lose? Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Keep following the stories at midlands103.com. Midlands 103. Mark and County Leash says every action has an equal and opposite reaction. If the left-wing extremists don't want to see the right-wing extremists, then return political decisions to the centre instead of the batshit crazy agenda bullshit this administration is pushing on people who are stretched past their limit. Another caller says, I'm on Marion's side. Marion Harkin, the deputy who spoke earlier, that's Paddy Phelan in Abbey Leaks. Will there should be a criminal history carried out on all immigrants and Leo Varadkar is trying to play a very positive role in immigration because he's searching for a job in Europe afterwards. Well, for the record, the IPS will carry out a review if somebody, for instance, applies uh, for asylum or indeed if they're looking for an economic visa, there will be an examination of criminal history. But that assumes they come from a country of origin where records are kept and where there is an exchange of information between the two. That's not always the case. Well, I have two girls in their 20s and I hate seeing them going out because I'm just terrified. And yes, it is because of immigration, even if they are mostly documented. Another listener says, well, he's not from Slovakia, he's Romanian. Get your facts right. False information as usual. No, he's from Slovakia. From a tiny town in the mountains in the north of the country. That is fact. You can believe it or believe it not. Uh, that's a reference to Josef Pushka, by the way. Will, unfortunately, says Mike, Leo is right. If the guy came here legally almost a decade ago, then he'd hardly raise any flags, would he? You can't equate a case like that with the anti-immigration agenda. Another caller says, I agree with Marion Harkin, 100%. The Fishuk is allowing too many people from overseas into the country and Marion is speaking for all the girls, ladies and women in this country. Fair play to her. It is a difficult and a serious issue for women in Ireland. Mar says, good morning, I'm trying to put myself into Ashling family's shoes and I think if she was my daughter, I would allow her name to be used to keep young single men out of the country. I don't know any woman who wants that amount of men placed beside them, be they Irish or foreign. Again, it's a complicated issue. If you're fleeing from some of the absolutely brutal regimes in parts of Africa, then it is usually the youngest and the fittest 
who get to Europe first, put down the roots, and their family follow. And the youngest and the fittest tend to be the men. That's not always the situation. And of course, there's abuse in the system. But there is a reason why young men tend to be in the asylum system. It's not just because they are economic vagrants or people who are fleeing conscription and military service. Anyway, that's the selection of what we've received. I will come back to more of your comments in a few minutes' time. Let's turn our attention to Eden Derry, where there is going to be a new arts centre developed in the not-too-distant future. The facility will benefit from the traditional features of a library as well as a 150-seat performance hall. So €8 million Euro is going to be spent developing the site and it's expected to be in a shovel-ready state very, very soon. Fine Gael Councillor Noel Cribben has been giving us some details about this and uh, we will have those details for you very, very soon. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Now, to that new state-of-the-art facility in Eden Derry is going to be a multi-purpose building, library, art centre, 150-seat performance hall. And according to local councillor Noel Cribben, it could one day win many awards. A great day. Great day for Eden Derry. Great day for North Offaly. Great day for all those uh, library users and library users into the future and kids. Years into the future will have a... a, a they had art library with all facilities in, in for the library, all rooms for 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 activities that goes on now in libraries. Not just going in and collecting a book and walking out anymore. That day is long gone. And then we're we're having an arts uh, centre there as well, where people there, those in the arts have rooms to uh, to do their arts and have rooms then to show their arts. And then we're having a performance area as well, which will be a 150-seater hall. Um, it's something that we haven't got needing there, believe it or not, for the size of the town, we haven't got our own community hall, nor, nor we haven't got a hotel, nor we haven't got anywhere that people can have public meetings or shows or musicals or pantos or anything like that. So this one building will will see all the issues that were short of in Eden Derry, all upright. So it's great there, great there for everybody. Noel, there was one thing at the meeting that struck out to me that you were talking about, and it was the design of the proposed building. It was something you were actually very impressed with. Yeah, yeah. Design, uh, the design, uh, the architects, Harrington's and, and company, uh, they went to fierce rounds. Uh, with great history here in Edenderry, and they went to all the rounds to find out the history and uh, the name of Edenderry and where it comes from, Edenderry, the oak tree, uh, and all that. So there'd be... There'd be uh, there could be a tree in the building itself. I'm not a hundred percent sure of that, but I'm nearly sure there is. But uh, along with that, there was a man from Edenderry in the early 1800s, uh, Thomas Fry, who moved from Edenderry to England, and he became world famous for making pottery, porcelain pottery. And he he made it for the for the royalty in England, and then he moved from England to America. And again, you know, uh, the front of the building is going to be clad in a porcelain 
porcelain uh, finish to uh, to highlight him. So this building now is a, a very standout building, uh, fantastic transfer, I have to say now. Um, and I, as I said at the meeting, I wouldn't be an expert on on buildings and 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 that type of thing, but I can foresee that this that this building will win awards for its plan and design. It's top class. It is in early stages, but when are you hoping you know we'll see this building be operational and ready to go? Yeah, well, what happens now after last Monday's meeting, um, Alvin Commons, who looks after forward planning and also has to be complimented for all her work and making sure that all the detail and all the, the all the boxes are ticked and all I's crossed and T's crossed and what have you. Um, a big job of work she had to do for something of this scale because um, it wasn't just, it was, they had to buy the site, then they had to knock it, then they had to, to build a road at the back of it. Uh, there's a lot of work going into There's about two million already gone into this. The new winter relief road at the back of it. So there was a whole lot of work on this. It wasn't just a straightforward buy of the site. And when it opened up, the site is 32 acres. So it's a huge site just out the main street. But to um, to answer your question, um, now we were into uh, uh, the next round of funding for the RRDS, which is for um, and for our project, which came in under a dereliction project. Um, Minister Humphreys will be announcing in the next six to eight weeks um, so many towns around the country that have projects that have what they call shovel ready. And ours is now shovel ready and ready to go. So there'll be an announcement, hopefully in the next six to eight weeks, as I say, for in around eight million for the build of this new this new building on the main street in Derry. And it'll be the makers of Eden Derry. And um, it, 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 it's a, as I say, it's a huge build in the main street. 32 acres behind us. There's other, there's other big projects lined up for that as well. So look, at it. it's a great, great day for Eden Dairy. Great day. That's Noel Cribben, a local member of Offaly County Council, representing the Eden Dairy area. Complaints at midlands103.com. A caller asks, how do you make a complaint because some of the messages you read out earlier should not have been on the airwaves? And equally, you can go to the Media Commission, Commission Naman, and complain to them directly, if you wish. I'm trying to give you a sample of what we're hearing today. But then on the other side, there's a person who says that um, you don't want to hear the other side of the argument. And if that's true, and, and I think they're referring to the um, perhaps more conservative side of the argument when it comes to immigration... Why else did we give a platform to Carl Nolan a few weeks ago? Why else did we just hear a few minutes ago Deputy Marion Harkin challenging the theatre? Well, Leo Varadkar is disappointed and in need of help. Don't make me laugh. He takes a venomous view towards people who question him. He probably knows his time is coming to an end and that's why he's spending time in Davos. The sooner he is voted out, the better, says Mark. Nolene in Leash says, Would we stand for men with a criminal record, regardless of nationality, being placed in accommodation at the cost of the taxpayer in any town or village? A massive number of asylum seekers and immigrants are not fleeing persecution. They're looking for a better financial option. Look at what's happening in the Netherlands, Italy, Sweden, Germany. Floods and floods of people immigrating. Uh, just to point out, uh, 
We don't know how many people may have had a criminal record, but certainly that is one of the criteria, if it's discovered, why they wouldn't be allowed into Ireland. Well, as a transgender person, I have found Irish people are ignorant towards those who are different. The truth is we are all the same, so why can't we all just live and let live? There is enough hate in the world without adding to it. Many people are sending their messages saying, name withheld. That, I think, tells you something about the sensitivity of this. Well, I totally agree with Manny on the issue of immigration. I have a particular fear of men coming to the country and congregating in large groups. Would you have the same fear if it was a group of Irish people, Irish men, hanging around a street corner congregating? I think you would. Anyway, that's a selection of what we've received. I will come back to your comments a little bit later. First of all, though, let's see what's happening in your area on today's Community Diary. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary are holding hen rescue runs at various locations this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and again on the 3rd of February. And for a full list of locations, you can check out Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary on Facebook. Adoption fees apply, and you can check out the Department of Agriculture website for current regulations. Dunkerran Church of Ireland Tractor Run is taking place Sunday the 28th of January. You can register from 12 noon in the Dunkerran Arms Car Park. Refreshments and raffle will be held afterwards in the Dunkerran Community Centre and a donation from funds raised will be given to the Dunkerran National School Autism Unit. Sweets in Kilbegan, the South West Meath Employment Service, is hosting a free nine-week women's development programme. Three hours a week, starting today and continuing until Thursday the 21st of March. And it's free for any woman over 35 living in West Meath. Key topics include personal development, goal setting, digital skills and interview techniques. Contact Sweets on 057 32030 and Creative Writing Workshops for Children will be held on Sundays starting February 4th between 2 and 4 and it's happening at 4 Bastion Street in Athlone. So if you have a child aged 8 to 12 years, the course will set you back €90 and you can find out more from Niamh on 086 362 3971 or check out Creative Writing for Children Athlone on Facebook. The Community Diary is online at midlands103.com to check any of those details again. And if I missed something in your area, call 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Now, David Hollywood is here from the Midlands 103 Sports Department because... The Irish Sun has put the cat among the pigeons with a survey that suggests you would back, or at least probably back, Roy Keane to be the next Republic of Ireland soccer manager. How much merit is there? I mean, whatever about the 
emotional attachment to Kino and what he did for us over sure. the years. Um, his managerial record, has it been of a calibre that would lead him to the national team? No, I don't think so. Um, but it's it speaks to the level of his popularity and the sway his name holds amongst uh, the Irish soccer following public uh, that he's considered a candidate based on you know his international career um, as a coach and his, his club career as a manager um, he had a reasonable time starting off at Sunderland and that went off the rails pretty quickly when they got to the Premier League he then went to Ipswich and really struggled there um, you, you realise at this stage your image is being printed off for dartboards yeah fair enough but regardless of the unpopularity of the perspective there's a lot to be said for getting a manager in who will garner Results as opposed to foster a culture of whatever he represents for for Irish men. Typically, I think is 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 what Kino's all about, and he's 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 got it well well presented uh, in the media over the last number of years. And um, I think it's high time we bring in another voice on this debate because people are probably sick and tired of hearing my perspective on Roy Keane. Uh, John Joyce is the chair of the Tullamore Republic of Ireland Soccer Supporters Club. Uh, John, the names are flying around this position over the course of the last couple of months and Roy Keane's uh, has come into the mix recently. What's your perspective? Um, well, first of all, I think people are watching the bookies form. There's a different favourite every week. Um, I think there's a gamble with everyone. Um, Roy would be a big gamble. He's ten years out of the game, out of a manager. Um, he coached. He coached under Martin as Martin's choice. Um, he fell out with a few senior pros coming to the end. Um, being t- manager and coach are two totally different things. Um, his just to agree with yourself, his CV wouldn't read that well. Um, he'd have a lot for him, but he'd have a lot against him as well. Um, people like to see him as a favourite son and a Man United connection with Ireland fans as well. Tell me, John, um, we've mentioned some of the drawbacks to the idea of Roy Keane getting this gig. What are the positives? Um, I think that the, the positives would be some of the fans. The positives would be the way he gets on with younger players. At the moment, we have a lot of young players but um, I personally, my own view is I wouldn't feel that that's enough. Okay, yeah. And it's it's probably telling as well that his entry into the debate about this only really came when he mentioned it on um, the podcast that he does with Gary Neville, Stick to Football. So it's been somewhat yeah. set up from his own camp in a way. Yes, exactly. I, 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 I can see why he would be on a list, absolutely. Um I, I again to reiterate, I personally don't see how we would get it above some of the candidates on that list. Um and just and I think he's actually found a very good home for himself in Sky Sports. He's absolutely box office at what he does now. Yeah, that that's he's probably a market leader when it comes to punditry at this point. Let's move away from Roy Keane for a moment then and consider the other names that you alluded to uh, that will be um, considered. And obviously, just off the back of Ghana's elimination from the Africa Cup of Nations and Chris Hewton getting fired in that position, uh, that's hardly the lead-in to the selection process he would have wanted. Um, what about other names? Where would you like to see this job go to? Um, look, there, there, there's that many names in there. It's it's really hard to go to know. There's a bit of a gamble. With, with, there's a bit of a gamble with each person. 
I would have liked Chris Hewton, but I think his stock has gone down now. He's kind of blotched his his record now. Um, Lee Carsley um, absolutely is an ex-Irish player and a player at gave it all. Again, there's a bit of a gamble with Lee as well. I don't think there's any 100% safe pair of hands, but if we were to take a gamble on someone, I'd like us to take a punt on Lee Carsley. In terms of Lee Carsley, he's the manager of the English Under-21 squad and that's probably the best collection of young players in international football considering the system that they've developed and the players that they're producing. Do you think he's... Hang on. on. Very deep pool (laughs) to draw from in the UK. Yes. So how much of that is down to Lee Carsley? How much of it is down to where he is? No, no. Actually, you're right, Will. I, none, essentially, none of it's down to Lee Carsley in terms of the players he has at his disposal. But what's down to him is whether or not he walks away from that. Uh, what I was going to ask John then is, John, do you think, considering Ireland's got a young batch of players, yes, uh, playing at a totally different level individually to those that are playing for England, do you think he would look away from the under-21 gig with England and potentially the big job in the future to come over and manage Ireland? It, it, I, I don't think anybody can te- can tell that. It depends really what's in his head. And just like Will alluded to, the level of player he's he he done well. He done brilliant with England, but you have to you have to look at what he had at his disposal. Disposal hundred million pound players playing for the under twenty ones that are top players in the Champions League clubs. A lot, not them all, but a lot of them. We don't have that. Uh, we got to know what's in his head. Does he want? Does he want? Does he feel a connection to come back to Ireland, manage Ireland? Does he want a senior job? Um, maybe the FAI have spoken to him. Um, I know there's a lot there's a lot of traction online in supporters groups this morning that he's going to be announced in the coming days. And I think uh, sports journal Keith Jones announced it this morning. But we have. But again, I think that's jumping ahead of it. Jumping ahead of it because the board, the FAI board, would have to rubber stamp that first. And there's been no noise that there's been any meetings. Um, they have their normal end of month meeting coming up, but again, going back to what you said, um, Lee would be a gamble. Like I said, um, his CV wouldn't have been brilliant before England, and the level of player he's had. I think he's someone that half the public would be for, and instead of saying like Roy Keane or Big Sam, the other half would be against. In Lee's case, you'd say maybe half the public are for him, and the other half wouldn't be against him. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, whereas Roy is more polarising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on, yeah on, Big Sam would be the same. He'd have his followers, but he'd have his haters. I don't think there'd be many haters for Lee Carsley. And when you look at the the undying support that um, Stephen Kenny got, because Stephen, as Will would know, has met him umpteen times and he's done events. Stephen really got supporters and it was... A big pity that it didn't work out for him. It was, you know, it was a lovely plan and everyone wanted it to work out for him. And I think Lee wouldn't be far beyond getting that support. Yeah, yeah, that's an, it's an interesting point you make, John, about the, there's probably a bit of continuity there if you bring in someone who's got a proven track record with young players that can maybe continue the work uh, of Stephen Kenny, who obviously, while he floundered in terms of results, his legacy could be much better uh, than what we understand it to be now. But, uh, I suppose we're all just left waiting on tenterhooks for this announcement, uh, be it Roy Keane, Lee Carsley or anyone in between, Chris Uton, Neil Lennon, are all names still circulating. Uh, we will keep an eye on what does get announced. John Joyce, chairman of the Tullamore Republic of Ireland Soccer Supporters Club. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much. Good luck, lads. Take Bye-bye. care.
I just try and imagine somebody slacking if Roy Keane was in charge. You wouldn't get away with it. Like, the discipline and also probably when it comes to passion, there are very few people who would outrank Roy Keane when it comes to passion for Irish football. And he could infuse that. He would instill it. He would inspire it. Would he? Has he ever? He hasn't proved capable of instilling or inspiring those around him in those positions in his managerial career yet. But this is Ireland. He hasn't. He the last like, time Sunderland is an abstract. Form. Sure, but the last time he was a coach and an assistant manager under Martin O'Neill in Ireland, he fell out massively with the players. He threatened physically John Walters, Harry Archer. Um, there was an absolute revolt against his personality and that wasn't uh, generations ago. Uh, that was the manager previous to Stephen Kenny, essentially. Uh, so he's been in a modern day regime and he's proven incapable of relating to players on a constructive basis, in a constructive way. And speaking as someone who observed him as a player, I swear, Will, I thought he would be the best manager out of any of those you look at the Republic of Ireland squad of the late 90s, early 2000s. Damien Duff is getting plaudits for his work with Shelburne. Robbie Keane won his first piece of silverware as Maccabi um, Tel Aviv's uh, manager. Uh, Lee Carsley, we just talked about. All these guys played with Roy Keane and it was Roy Keane we all expected to do the job better than anyone else. And he's become the pundit he promised he'd never be. Uh, would I like to see him get another manager's role? Absolutely, it would be interesting. Just don't let it be the the Ireland job certainly not now one person sums it up with one single name Alpha Inga Haaland proof that Roy Keane doesn't belong anywhere in football management well that was 20 something years ago yeah people can change I'll give them that yeah. do you know something on an aside my 8 year old plays soccer in school and they have a name for that particular tackle they call it a Brexit oh my god yeah <laughs> I'm trying to tell him you do not do that don't do a Brexit no, yeah, no I was wondering what was the Brexit and he demonstrated and it was a Roy Keane versus Alpha Inga Halland if you've never seen that clip by the way take a look at it on YouTube that is an effective moniker for a violent tackle it is thanks David thanks Will Midlands Today with Will Faulkner find out what you missed earlier at midlands103.com still on the agenda today if you have an electric car how well did it perform in last week's cold weather? All revved up with Barry Martin Motors from half past 11. Sinead Hubble is back. Hubbly bubbly toiling troubly. <laughs> with a belly full of tea. <laughs> yes. The research that claims a pinch of salt brings out the flavour in a cuppa. How did you get on? We experimented with several different people this morning to find out whether they'll actually enjoy salt in their tea. OK, where did you go? To uh, Apple Green here in the Access Business Park. He didn't give me long, so I had to go somewhere close by. So down to Viola and Janet and all the crew. Let's have a listen. Now then, who's for tea? No way. Pinch of salt in tea. Like, why not put chalk in with it as well? Are you serious? Hello. How do you do, one or three? The woman is mad. And what way do you like your tea? I like my tea just with hot water in it and a tea bag. And then take out the tea bag and put in milk. That's it. So I'm just putting in the tea bag, adding a hot drop of water, because that's the way I like mine. And we're going to test out this salt theory, see if it's 
to see if it's um, what you call it, if it's all true or if it's all a hoax. It's okay, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for it. It's wouldn't be my choice, but it's, it's fine. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not like... it's as bitter as it normally would be. Yeah. yeah. And how do you normally like your tea? Uh, I just like it without milk, plain. Yeah, and I also drink green tea. I don't think salt would go well in green tea. But yes, I'd be on for that now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Now I would drink that. You're going to start carrying around salt oh. packets with me now. That's horrible. It's very perfect. That's actually lovely. Actually yeah. lovely. I can't get over it. Salt in the tea. So different. Must be nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Isn't it? I like that. Not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it tastes weird. <laughs> Can you describe what it tastes like? <laughs> like a bit of uh, sea in the tea. <laughs> your face said it all as you took a sip of that tea. And how would you like, normally like your tea? Uh, normally, normally I would drink tea with a slice of lemon. No milk at all, with a dash of honey. That's my type of tea. <laughs> so no salt in it? No. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. <laughs> go on, go on. <laughs> go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. My name is Janet Kelly and I work in Levata in Green Nexus Business Park. My perfect cup of tea is tea bag in first hot water, leave the tea bag in for a few minutes and then add my milk give it a good squeeze and that's it, I don't take sugar so that's my perfect cup of tea and berries or lines? oh it'll have to be lines Yeah, actually no I have to say little tea bags are good as well definitely, I, the gold blend ones in little are, are fabulous as well to make a good cup of tea what kind of unusual requests have you gotten when it comes to tea? some people like to add in like we have like lemon uh, we've lemon syrup so they like to add in the lemon into their hot tea we have a couple of staff members that drink it that are, are Polish that love it seemingly in their country it's it's a thing that they drink tea with, with the lemon and also a bit of hot whiskey we don't supply that down here unfortunately <laughs> um, and we also do peach as well, but not nothing really strange. No, we haven't had any real strange requests for tea. Like it'd be mostly the lemon or the the peach to add into it. And when you heard about adding salt into the tea, what did you think? Oh yeah, no, I was I was like, no, that's criminal. You can't be doing things like that. But actually, I after testing it, it actually does. It's it's very good. Like it brings out flavour of the tea bag more so because it, tea can be bland anyways. Well, it brings out flavour of the tea bag. And what do you say to a cup? Frick off, cup! <laughs> <laughs> that report? I should eat Hubble. Oh, so when you see Janet or your local barista, you will have to request tea with or without salt from now on. What will it be, mm. Sinead? So it's actually quite nice. And you are do, an aficionado yeah, when it comes to tea. It does very, make a difference. Don't think I'll do it, but it you can actually taste the difference. She is very fussy, trust me. I made her tea <laughs> one time, one time, without washing the residue of coffee from the spoon. It tastes terrible. 20 years later, she still goes on about it. And you've it. never made me another cup since. That's not true. <laughs> I, I bought, I bought you, Manny. <laughs> 
Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Paul sends an image of Roy Keane taking on the whole Chelsea team and he says the guy is driven. No denying that, but would he be a good choice as Republic of Ireland soccer manager? Lots of divided opinion on that. For instance, Martin says Roy Keane would be hard to deal with. If things don't go his way, he will throw his rattler out of the pram. And he hasn't always put on the green jersey, calling in injured, for instance. So I don't think he should be the man at the helm. On how you take your tea, Granny says, Will, I've been drinking tea since before you were born. You have to scald the crockery pot first, then wet the tea using a loose-leaf tea. Tea bags are just dust. Hmm. Regarding the new art centre for Eden Derry, could that county council man instead manage to have the thousands of potholes on the streets of Eden Derry repaired, says a local person. And the big talking point of the day, the debate in the dole between independent TD Marion Harkin and Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, in which Ashling Murphy's name was used in the immigration debate Sean in Port Arlington, you're worried about the way the country is headed in the future. People coming in from different countries, different cultures, different values. I worry for our grandchildren in 15 to 20 years' time. No forward planning by the government. And indeed, there was another person referencing some of the trouble and strife in parts of the UK. Bradford, for instance, where cultures have not integrated very well. Another listener says, I think there would be just as much concern if it was a group of Irish men hanging around in large numbers. One of the problems is people are afraid to speak up, hence the amount of name-withheld comments you are receiving. Otherwise, they'll be called a racist. There needs to be more discussion. Perhaps if people did their own research, they could come to their own conclusions. Anyway, that's a selection of what we've received so far today. When RTE embarked on a new project, Toy Show the Musical, did they do their homework? Because taking calculated risks is part of business. It's part of entrepreneurship. Speculate to accumulate. In the end, it cost you, me and every other licence fee pair, 2.2 million euro. And it's now being investigated Well, by various agencies, but let's first of all hear from the chairman of the Public Accounts Committee, Deputy Brian Stanley of Leash Offaly. Brian, good morning. Good morning, Will. So a report from Grant Thornton has examined governance around the toy show, the musical. Uh, It's found, for instance, that the decision to use the convention centre as a venue wasn't signed off on by the RTE board. Take us through how much homework was done. Well, I suppose it, it, to start with, we haven't seen the full report. What we have is leaks this far. Um, I'm just have to go now to the Public Accounts Committee where we have the Revenue Commissioners before us this morning. Uh, and up to the point of 9.30, nothing else has been released at that point. Uh, but what we have is a number of leaks. Um, what we see is um, very little homework was done. If it was done, it was poorly done. Um, and as you said at the outset, you know, RT is a commercial a commercial body. It's a commercial semi-state body. Uh, it does get a lot of public money, but it also raises funds uh, through commercial ventures. 
and there is risks involved in all com- in all commercial activity. That's that's a given. But before you get involved in ventures or enterprises, uh, it's always a good idea to do some research and to put together a business case. And if there's a business case here, it is on the back of a cigarette packet or a very small, the back of a very small envelope, because uh, it's clear that there wasn't the market research wasn't done, that the homework wasn't done. If there is a business case, um, if it was a business case to put together, it was shambolic. Uh, so it's questionable was there ever a real business plan put together here with this? Uh, and I think it's well. You know, another one of the leaks, for, just for instance, suggests that they hadn't scheduled enough shows to break even, even if those shows had been fully attended, that they seem to have also overestimated what the attendance would be. Uh, So it was perhaps always forecast on a best case scenario rather than maybe worst case and, and, you know, middle case and so on. Um, But is the issue the quantum of money lost, the 2.2 million euro, or is the issue whether they made an educated decision? Both, I think, and just to say that, you know, that's another, there is a leak around that of the information that has been coming out, that even even had they had full attendance, had everything have gone gone right with the number of shows, they would just about have managed to nearly break even. And, you know, that's, the calculation there is was way out. Um, and, you know, you'd have to say um, that going into a crowded market, you know, the Christmas shows, in Dublin, my understanding of it is there's a significant number already. There's a number of attractions. You were doing this in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Um, you know, when you weigh up a number of factors, this was a risky, a risky venture. Um, and you'd have to say it was worse than risky. I mean, it's just doomed to failure from the start. And, you know, looking at RT, that, you know, it's a, a, a large corporate structure with, you know, 1,800 employees. Uh, it's there for decades. You know, it's a commercial semi-state. At this point, there should be a lot of uh, commercial expertise there, like there is in other semi-state companies. Sometimes that's get a lot of criticism, you know. Um, and uh, I think that what you have to try and what we have to try and reason out is is that or expect is that RT should have that there. And this would look like worse than amateurish what happened here. It just like, looks like a complete dereliction in terms of any proper reporting, any proper uh, rules of governance, uh, any proper rules of accountability to the board. And it just seems to be a couple of people in RTE maybe thought this was a good idea and ran ahead with it, uh, thinking, well, sure, it's in the convention centre and sure, it's in an RTE, sure, it can't fail. And unfortunately, it did. Um, the sum of money, I mean, you know, we deal with bigger sums of money, but two point two million is significant in itself. But the more significant matter is, is that, you know, this this again underlines the fact that there was a complete the governance structures in RTE, those issues of accountability, those issues of reporting, those issues of sharing information with the board, etc. That was completely absent in a lot of cases in RTE. And what it shows is, is that, you know, this has to be, this, this can't be cosmetic changes, like this has to be serious and major overhauls at RTE, and I would expect nothing less. And anything less won't 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 cut the mustard here. That has to happen. Now, it's probably a bit early to say, pending the release of the full report. 
But if the board was short-circuited and the decision was made by the executive without due consultation to the directors, is it a case that the board should consider their position? Well, there's a number of people, a number of senior people gone at RTE um, have uh, gone off stage. Um, You know, the former director general, she's not available. Dee Forbes. uh, Is she still safe? That's my understanding. Yes, at the last the last attempt we had to contact her. Yes, not alone, not alone that, but she wasn't even in a position to answer correspondence. Is what her solicitor wrote back to us. Um, no, people look, people will take that for what it is to make their own own judgment on that. Uh, some other people have exited. As the former head of commercial activity, uh, Geraldine O'Leary, she's exited. Um, Rory Coveney, he's gone. He was head of strategy. You know, I would have thought some of the some of the names I mentioned would, would have been probably had some involvement in this, or would have been central to this. So, I suppose you can't blame people who have come in new who are there now for what happened then. No, not but not the, the executive, but the board. Many of them have presided throughout both the new regime and the old regime. I, I think that's I think that's what's going to what the report is going to show that we may have more information on that over the next day or two that will indicate who who was there then and uh, is still there now at senior executive level. Uh, would I think as well that the appointed board that's headed by Shun or Ratley, that the, that the executives in RT report, uh, they need to be more assertive, uh, need to be more um, inquiring, need to expect higher standards. Um, you know, a board at the end of the day, the appointed the board here at the end of the day, that's the that's the, the guardian of the public good, uh, the corporate entity of RT, that, that 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 is there and is in good shape and functioning properly and the structures are there and some of the issues that I mentioned, um, you know, and it's all simple enough stuff. I mean, it, you know, the language sometimes can be highfalutin, but when you look behind it, it's got to do with telling each other what's going on. It's got to do with uh, seeking permission it's got to do with the basics sitting down and doing doing the basic sums. And I mean, if the leak is correct in relation to the, the number of shows that we, would have been required and the attendance that would be required, I mean, that, that surely to God, that was the most basic starting point. And how that could have been missed in an organisation with a financial section, with a director of commercial activity, with a head of strategy, Rory Coveney, um, etc. That's, that's beyond me how that could have happened. I mean, a lot of a lot of people leaving school this year after having their even start completed, uh, if they've done business studies, would be able to work that out. And some people who have never done business studies would work it out because it would be just common sense. But that didn't seem to that didn't seem to pertain in terms of what was going on in RT mm. for years. There was a culture there that allowed that to happen. Uh, there was pra- bad practices set in, you know, um, and. You know, I think I mentioned this to you before in some of the other discussions we had around this will, that on, a, on the couple of occasions that the, that, that the senior executives were before the board going back in 2001 and 2002, you could sense, you know, my sense of it was that, you know, that this wasn't a healthy, uh, this wasn't a healthy outfit. But, you know, there's some restrictions by virtue of the fact that they're a commercial semi-state and not directly accountable to the Public Accounts Committee at that point. Mm. You know, if you recall it, we had, we had to get the permission of the Fuller Optus to actually, uh, to actually bring them in and grill them over what was going on. But if I may come slightly off the fence on this, RTE 
is going to rely on commercial income into the future, no doubt. Uh, there's no appetite to fund it entirely from the Exchequer, for instance. If RTE is to innovate, is to try new ideas, and heaven knows it should, then whatever response to this obvious uh, calamity shouldn't deter, inhibit, uh, strike fear into the new executive from doing it properly with homework, with approval, with all the necessary groundwork done. Um, so would you agree the response has to be proportionate? The response has to be proportionate. And th- I think as well, in fairness, Kevin Backhorst has gone in there uh, as new director general. Uh, you know, as I said, there's a number of people, you know, there's six or seven key figures there, exit, stage exit, they're gone, they're moved, uh, or they're gone out of the organisation altogether. Um, I think that, you know, I heard some commentary early this morning that some some members of Zal were saying, you know, haul in this one, haul in that one, you know, people maybe who weren't there at the time. Uh, but that's not, I think what we have to, uh, what we have to see is that the new, direct, the new director general, that, you know, there's some changes have been made, you know, there's some more promised. I think that, as I said, that it's a complete overhaul of how business is done at RTE, how public money is handled, because at the end of the day, this is the public broadcaster. And look, from a Sinn Féin point of view, you know, we're, our view is, is that there has to be significant, a significant element of commercial funding that RTE, while it might mush its own, its whole face, it certainly has to do some of it because, um, you know, the public appetite um, and, you know, the public in general can't be expected to just, uh, you know, send out fans with money in the back of its RTE um, for big bailouts every time that's required. You know, it has to stand up on its own two feet in terms of raising a significant amount of commercial revenue. But what's clear from this is is that up to up to the middle of last year, that the capacity there to do that and the regime in place was not capable of doing it. It's as simple as that. And that needs to change. There has to be a very active commercial section uh, with uh, best practice, mm. uh, active and based on sound business, sound business practice. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, you'll have more of this kind of stuff. And that has to stop. Brian Stanley, thank you for your time. He's the chairman of the Doyle Public Accounts Committee, a Sinn Féin TD in Leishawfully. Still on the agenda today, Volkswagen cutting prices by up to €12,000 for some of its EVs. Also, the top cars of 2023 that are still worth watching in 2024, all revved up with Barry Martin. to protect. Brought to you by Midlands 183, the IBI and funded by Commission the Man with a television licence fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more information. Solar energy is the focus of today's Hours to Protect. ESB Networks says it is the fastest growing source of renewable energy in Ireland. Conal Bulger, CEO of the Irish Wind Solar Energy Association, says there are around one million suitable rooftops in Ireland for solar panels. In 2022, customers uh, were able to start selling electricity back to the grid from uh, panels on the rooftop. And at one point, we had something like 700 homes a week uh, registering new systems. And also in 2022, we saw 
large-scale projects starting to connect to the grid, the first one in Wicklow, but now we're, pro, we're over 600 megawatts of projects. And really what that kind of means is that at the end of this year, the end of 2023, we found, we found ourselves in the place that the industry uh, was at a, uh, if you'll forgive the number, uh, the one gigawatt threshold, or we connect enough projects that we could generate power sufficient to meet the needs of 375,000 homes. It's really unprecedented what's happening um, in solar in Ireland in terms of our energy industry. We've never really seen something like this. And it just kind of comes back to the basics that even in grey, rainy old Ireland, we've useful daylight falling on the fields and rooftops around the country from which we can make electricity. And we're kind of really taking that step forward towards a system where we're going to have a lot of our electricity generated from wind and solar. They, they work well together. Uh, it tends to be windy when it's not sunny. It tends to be sunny when it's not windy. And so if you layer them over each other, you start getting closer to that 100% renewable system, which is uh, really the direction of travel for Ireland. Around 80,000 homes across the country are now using solar panels. What we've really seen is that people are responding to a set of incentives and changes that mean we've got something like uh, 80,000 homes now connected with solar. Um, You're talking basically the equivalent of a power station in terms of what they're capable of generating. And it, you know, there's rarely been a better time for it. Uh, in just the last few years, we've seen the, the introduction of a grant. There, there's the bill savings, which are always there, you know, from generating your own electricity. But now people can sell back what they don't need to the electricity. The planning restrictions were removed. And... Uh, the supply and install of solar was rated zero for VAT. So really, the economics were made a lot better. I think people's concern over climate change, the high energy prices uh, experienced as a result of Ukraine, concerns about how secure our energy was um, arising from that situation, really meant that a lot of people uh, took the plunge. And there's real potential out there. According to UCC, about one million homes in Ireland are suitable for hosting uh, solar panels on their rooftop. And they actually went down to the county level. So your listeners may be interested to know that uh, about 25% of the power in West Meath could be met by rooftop solar, 33% in Offaly, and 35% in Leash. So it really can produce meaningful amounts of electricity and can actually impact on those dreaded energy bills. The reward of the individual level, and then there's probably the reward at the, the national level, really. So a, a kind of a straight point uh, for all of us, when people are making their own electricity, they're, they're saving money from not having to draw down power from the, the wider grid, and they can get paid for their excess. But if you go up the, another level, when you, th- when you add that into the effect of the larger solar farms, when what happens there is when the sun shines, they're actually helping to push down the overall cost of electricity because essentially the fuel is free. Now, what's also happening in both cases, both with your rooftop solar and your larger, larger scale solar farms, is you're helping decarbonize the electricity supply. Ultimately, the electricity that's being made is electricity that's 
nothing from burning dead dinosaurs in the power station. So you're helping in the battle against climate change. And at that kind of macro level, if we're meeting more of our demand ourselves from solar we're generating, whether it is on larger scale solar farms or in people's homes, you're increasing uh, our level of energy independence. You know, you're reducing the level of dependence on importing fossil fuels. Um, it's called security supply in the industry jargon. But what that means has been really uh, reinforced, I think, for all of us by what's happened with Ukraine. The realization that these, these energy chains that we thought were reliable are not so reliable. Uh, and it's incumbent on Ireland, uh, Inc., to look at progressing this agenda as fast as possible, because it, me it means ultimately that people will pay less for their electricity, the electricity they use will be cleaner, and their overall energy security will be better. Mr Bulger says those in the farming sector could make an income from solar energy. So the interesting thing about the climate debate and agriculture has been quite how fractious it's gotten in the last few years. And farmers are often painted as villains in the climate discourse. And solar is really something that allows the bridging of the gap. There's kind of two broad models. Uh, farmers can uh, look at leasing land for solar panels and they can also look at hosting panels on their farm buildings and their homes as well. Um, the larger scale solar farms um, provide additional revenues for farms in many cases which are looking for you know to diversify their income sources to try and uh, maintain uh, uh, their, their agriculture activity as a kind of going concern. Um, what's one of the n nice m benefits there is that really, in addition to offering the, uh, those incomes, the, la the land itself still remains suitable for grazing sheep and certain crops in amongst the panels. In fact, we're seeing the growth of an, an industry in Europe uh, called AgriSolar, which is looking at using land for both panels and growing, growing food and other agricultural models. And what's kind of zooming up at that helicopter level, um, to meet our climate targets, you're probably talking uh, something in the order of 25,000 acres under lease. That's lease, not what's under panels. That might sound like a lot, but it's equivalent to about one-fifth of 1% 1 of all agricultural land, so 0.2%, or about half of what we have under golf courses. Now, if we zoom back down to the, the farm level, uh, what's, what's also an option for many farmers is looking at panels on the, their homes or on the farm buildings. Uh, so there are a range of supports available. They're not perfect, and we, we would like to see some improvements made. But for many farms around the country, they've been the spur to get them moving. Because ultimately, a lot of farms, the energy bill is a big input cost. So anything they can do to help with that um, is definitely worth considering. And solar has been an option for many farmers around the country. You can find out more information on solar energy on ourstoprotect.ie and there's a fact sheet on midlands103.com. Now, if there's a project in your area, large or small, 
If its scale is local or global, make us aware of it. Studio at midlands103.com and we can feature it in a future episode of Ours to Protect. This renewable energy feature is brought to you in association with Renewable Energy Ireland. Clean energy, secure energy, Irish energy. Renewable Energy Ireland. The Midlands most listened to radio show, Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Barry Martin is here from Barry Martin Motors in Mullingar for the next edition of All Revved Up. How are we? Morning, how are you, Will? All good? Yeah, you're good, all right. You're busy. We nearly didn't get you here. That's correct. Which is, look, a good complaint to this time, uh, January motor trade, making while the sun shines. Yep. I want to start with a piece uh, that was published on RTE, the top cars of 2023 that are still worth watching in 2024. And they go through it category by category, um, best medium EV, hybrid crossover. Uh, I'm trying to find best diesel. There isn't a best diesel category oh, anymore. No, nothing. Like BMW 520D. They were like confetti for yeah. decades. People of a certain executive class bought them and that was that. There is no such thing as a new BMW 520D. Yeah, that's right. They deleted, the, deleted from the range completely, the diesel. Yeah. And they're not the only manufacturer. There are so many of them. And yet, I dare say you're selling, obviously, secondhand. Yeah. What ratio of diesel to everything else are you selling? We'd be selling about 90% of diesel. Compared to, we'll say, we'll say, uh, back in mind that would be petrol mainly. After that, very small amount of hybrid, and literally no electric whatsoever. Now like, we've had electrics for a decade. Yeah. The Leaf, BMW, they had the i3 actually probably before just about anybody else. Um. So there is a second-hand market there. It's not massive. No, but you're saying there's no demand. I don't have a huge demand of very little. I've had electric cars there and I've, you know, struggled with them. Um, not, not due to pricing or anything like that, just due to, they kind of revert back to the, the diesel or the petrol or some kind of backup where there's a combustion engine there that they know they can put petrol and keep going. They don't have to charge it and wait. I know things have gone are more advanced now and it's, mm. it's crazy the way, it, like, stuff is moving on. But at the minute... I would struggle with electric stuff in that I wouldn't have enough buyers for it. 90% of our stuff is diesel. I'd be curious to pick your brain as a listener to this conversation. What would put you off buying a second-hand electric car? Because I'm going to go out on a limb and I think when you have a second-hand petrol or diesel and the engine blows up, yeah. You know you can go to a scrapyard and get a second-hand one and it's not going to break the well, bank. Or you can rebuild it. Or you can recondition and build it, whatever, yeah. yeah. Whereas with an EV, to replace the battery, there are some frightening figures doing the rounds as to how much it'll cost, depending on the brand. And the uncertainty of how long will it last. Like, if, if I'm there and I'm selling a five-year-old electric car, and, like, people say, how long is that battery going to last? It's like, it's as long as a piece of string. It's impossible to answer. It. Mm. Whereas, you know, the diesel engine, you can look at... Take it for like obviously you don't know when that's going to be there, but it's quite easy to fix or replace than a battery, and you know there's maintain maintenance with that as well. So if it has good maintenance, the chances are 
it's good. Yeah. So you would imagine, given all of that, that manufacturers will do everything in their power to protect existing EV owners, to try and hold those values. Correct, yeah. Make sure you can trade up your second-hand car at a decent price. Yeah. Low depreciation. And yet, Tesla led the charge on this. Volkswagen have probably come in with steeper discounts than anybody else. There are some brands in the Volkswagen range that have dropped by €12,000. New price. Yeah. Crazy. So that compounds the natural depreciation on second hand. As I, as I glanced over there earlier, the, the the biggest issue I would have there is is you know people that have financed these vehicles and stuff like that. Like if if you're talking about uh, taking twelve grand off the price, retail price of a car, and someone bought one twelve months previously and financed it, we'll say on a five year HP lease, something like that. Maybe they didn't qualify for a low interest rate. They mm. took a standard rate, and the issue there is that. The residual value of that vehicle, the chances are that they will owe more on the loan when they settle it than the vehicle is worth. And that's a huge effect. So that's not alone that the customer to upgrade the car will end up putting huge deposits towards their car. You know, it's not all the case. I know there are other manufacturers slowly taking the price down. You know, month on, month off, they're knocking two grand off it here and two grand. Working it slowly rather than just chopping off ten grand just like that, you know. So Now, before somebody texts to say, well, if they lower the price, will they not stimulate more sales? In the case of Volkswagen's ID4, it for a long time has been Ireland's best-selling yeah, new electric yeah. car. Did they need to chop 12 grand off the price? It's just been competitive. Like when you, the likes of Tesla come in and with very aggressive pricing like that and stylish cars, they're good-looking cars too. Um, that's kind of where it shakes up the market. And I suppose... Is it really Tesla? Or is it... We've BYD coming in from yeah, China. We've MG, not like the MG you and I knew 20, 30 have, years ago. Have you actually seen the MG range? Yes. Fantastic. Like, and, and BYD as well. Like, these are all going to... They're, they're going to give everyone in Europe a run for their money. They really are. Like, And they're good cares. The, the BYD is a bit land and born inside but sure time will it'll, it'll, it'll come along you know but I suppose we still have a hang up so we know German tried and tested engineering absolutely yeah. we know Japanese Korean they've been in the market a long yeah. time Chinese build quality yet to be seen I suppose you know but I mean at the money they're coming in at it seems you know it's a safe bet I think myself some, some of them are coming with a, a, I believe the I think it's the MG has a seven-year warranty in it, which rivals the likes of Kia, which is Korean. Mm. So, and the case could be made BYD in particular is manufacturing batteries for many of the other Correct. brands. Correct. Yeah. So cut out the middleman yeah. and go direct to them might be the case. Absolutely. But it still brings us back to whether people are persuaded by the technology in the first place, or will it be? hybrid for some time to come here in Ireland where range anxiety is uh, yeah, pronounced. I think I think the, the petrol hybrid like this, the self-charge and the plug-in but the, the self-charge obviously self-charge is great if you live in we say some like apartment or something like that where you can't plug in it's not physically possible to plug it in to your house but um, I think that, I think looking at what's out there at the minute in plug-in hybrid like it's kind of going to it's the way forward 
you know, I, look, I, I'm old school. I'm diesel. I love the I love the the grunt of it, but at the same token, I probably have to move on with it as well. You know, there's still plenty of life left in diesel out there. But as far as I'm concerned, if I was moving into the electric world, it would be po- probably somewhere between plug-in hybrid and hybrid. Mm. But there's some fantastic vehicles out there now. Bus Aaron seems to have learned a painful lesson in Athlone. <clears throat> That's right. Deputy Michael Fitzmorris joined us on the programme earlier this week to tell us how, in the cold weather, many of the buses operating around the town had to pull up early. They couldn't continue the usual yeah. length of the shift. That's right. And uh, the reason for that is, was twofold. One, more heating has to be turned on during cold weather. Right. The other... The battery chemistry changes during cold weather. They're less efficient. In fact, Eddie Cunningham wrote a piece on this in the Irish Independent recently and he described on one EV how the range went from 360 kilometres to 120 kilometres in the space of a couple of shortish runs. So... He says, the sooner we get to higher density batteries, the better. Again, we're nearly there. I know Toyota's making huge strides yeah. with the solid state battery. They, they reckon they'll have a battery that I think it charges in something like 10 or 15 minutes and a thousand kilometres. Like that's, that's what we need to hear. Mm. <laughs> Genuine, that's what we need to hear because that will, that will take away all the kind of fear with the range anxiety and stuff like that. And, and that fear of people going electric. Like, I mean, if, it's, it's amazing how many people say to me, Nope, not doing it. Never do it. I'll cycle a bike before I'll do it. No. But if you tell them they have a thousand kilometres. That's a tank of diesel. Correct. And, and to refill minutes. in 15, 10 minutes. Yeah, whatever. Shh, that's, that's so much. It'll take you that long to put fuel in a car anyway. Buy your coffee, do whatever. Exactly. Yeah, go to the toilet. Yeah. Everything that has to be done. Um, but then this brings us back to the existing second-hand market. When that solid-state thousand-kilometre, 10-minute recharge battery comes, will you want anything older? That's the problem, isn't it? It is, the, it is one of the biggest problems. But it's, I suppose, finding residual value on these vehicles is the biggest thing, you know? That That's where it stands. So, uh, I don't know. There's always going to be, like, even some of the older leaves still sell and they have a very bad range on them. Mm. But if it suits you, if you're literally local and you're shopping church and that's it. Exactly. If you're just driving around yeah. Mullingar. Correct. Grand. Perfect. If you were to take an occasional trip to Dublin, however, it's an issue. It is. <laughs> yeah. So it's all about needs. Well, like, but, I, but then, do you buy? Here's the thing about some of our decisions. There are people who want a big boot because once in a blue moon, yeah. they're going to move something large. Yeah. Well, why not actually buy the smaller car, the cheaper car to run, yeah. the higher demand one to sell? Yeah. And once in a blue moon when you need to move something, borrow a van. Yeah. It'll true. be cheaper. Yeah. But most, uh, if you look at most EVs, like there's a, there's a backup of a combustion engine somewhere in that house. One or the other has a diesel or a petrol. There's a combustion engine somewhere because it still is like, as regards range, it's still a, an issue for some people. Like, I mean, if, if, you were, if you were to leave here, if I was to leave here today and I need to say I needed to go to Sligo, and from Sligo, I need to come back to Mullingar and go to Dublin, whatever it be. I mean, how many charging, how many times we'd stop, all that kind of stuff. Whereas if I had a hybrid or I had a diesel, I was just going in and do it. Simple as that. Yeah, got to push back a little bit there now, Chief. Uh, 
So recently, I had to travel to a funeral yeah. in Mayo and did so and arrived back. Okay, we left on 100%. Yeah. Arrived back in Clombalogue mm-hmm. on 20%. If I had to go on to Dublin and stopped at a fast charger, mm. I could have done so in the space of half an hour, gotten up to probably 80%. Yeah had a burger and refueled as I needed to anyway. You can do it. You just have to plan. Plan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's planning. It's all planning. It's a tough one. I, I look, as I said, we all, we all will have to, once the range comes on all these vehicles, that'll be, you know, thing of the past. You know, uh, you know we, uh, the reason is that I'm probably old school in regards to diesel, so I'm always going to kind of be on the fence on that. But, I mean, as time goes on, it'll just, it'll, it'll find its way. Mm. You know. Barry Martin is here from Barry Martin Motors in Mullingar. The next headline, which we'll explore in just a moment, will chat GPT rat you out if you break an amber light? Beep, 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 yeah. All revved up on Midlands Today with thanks to BarryMartinMotors.ie. You don't need to look far for your next new car. Check us out. Barry Martin Motors, Irishtown, Mullingar. Artificial intelligence is coming to your car. Volkswagen is developing its version of ChatGPT called Ida. Mm. And Barry wants Ida to flirt with him. <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> so the conversation might sound like, well, Barry, any holidays planned? <laughs> Barry, your acceleration is so powerful. <laughs> Hey, Barry, are you going to Eddie Rockets? You know, you're supposed to be on a diet. That's, that's the one I'd probably hear, yeah. You can even ask it to speak Klingon. <laughs> Kapla. <laughs> Batak. <laughs> Etc. You can swear in Klingon on the radio and get away with it. It's fantastic. I don't know if this is really why you buy a car, is it? No, I don't very much. No, it's a cool little thing. But then, I suppose, look at Elon Musk and he's put farts into Teslas. Right, yeah. People love it. The latest update is... You can change your locking tone. No way. Yeah, so it no longer goes beep beep. You can get it to play a song when you walk away from it. That's crazy. People like gimmicks. Of course do. Question from a listener. Uh, if you were to choose between a Corolla Cross and a Hyundai Kona, both hybrid, which would you choose? Myself, personally, I would choose the Corolla. It's a fantastic the crossover. We've got to have a look at this. Yeah, it's fantastic. It actually, I actually followed one because I couldn't make out what car was originally. <laughs> what? Do you not like it? Don't you followed? I followed it. We came out in one of the streets in Mullingar and I said, what the name of God is that? I was on foot, so I just went round the corner and I said, I couldn't, I didn't know what make, or I knew what make it was, but I didn't know what model it was. And then when I saw it, I said, very striking front, very striking, and beefy looking. You know, yeah, the, the no, is great. I see an image of it here. It's not what you would expect no. a Corolla to no. look like. It doesn't have a family resemblance to no, the regular car. Like, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's I, even the smaller version, the Irish crossover, is beefy looking too. But that's a fantastic looking car. I mean, it. the 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 Corolla is lovely. Don't get me wrong, and it's a very reliable car too. But just my personal choice, I'm going to Toyota. Next query. We mentioned earlier about replacing the battery or the motor Mm. in the electric car and how cost prohibitive that might be once the warranty is up. 
Well, a listener says, well, what's a fair price for taking out a busted engine, putting in a replacement and paying for all the labour? It depends if someone wants to buy a created engine, which is brand new. But if it's a used car and if you can, there's plenty, plenty of outlets out there where you can buy an engine. You can, you there's the likes of, um, we'll say, partsfinder.ie. If you put in the registration of vehicle into that car, you can actually, it'll self-populate and you can actually find where every, we'll say, um, the recycling or the... the what do you call them? The guys that break all the cars up. But they, yeah, the breakers and breakers the refurbished yeah, ones and so on. They will have it. And they'll have, we say for argument's sake, you had a car and they will have the year. They, they, if they have the same year, it'll come mm. up so, and you'll be able to see the mileage, everything, the whole lot and the vehicle. And they'll have reconditioned. You can buy reconditioned engines as well. For around, I think, around, we've done it before, about €3,000 will get you a proper, not like a proper engine to come out of, you know, something that... that had sensible mileage or that, um, you're looking at about a thousand euros to fit it between that. So, like, under five grand, you'll do it. You'll not replace the battery for under five grand. No. No. The other side of this, for balance, you will have to service that per- petrol or diesel engine yeah. after, what, every 15,000 kilometres? Yeah. 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 You'll have to replace the brakes. Yeah. You'll have to do all the usual bits and pieces. Yeah. Whereas on an electric vehicle, you don't have the same service intervals. Many of them don't even really wear the brakes. They use the regeneration yeah. force instead. That's correct. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts, isn't it? It is, yeah. No, no. Like, I mean, I, I suppose you could, at the same token, if your battery went, there's, there's obviously batteries in these places just fitting them. I suppose it's a, it's a more in-depth job of fitting it. I wouldn't, like, where, where does a, you'd have to be seriously qualified to take mm. a battery off a car. And maybe that's part of the problem now. Yeah. The few people who can do it are charging a premium because Absolutely. their services are in such demand. Yeah. But over time, when people upskill, the labour mightn't cost as much. I know they're trying to develop a centre of excellence for EVs again it's in, in Mullingar. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Get with the programme, Barry. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I was reading it. I said it was in one of the SMI magazines recently. I saw that. All right. But it'd be great. Like, I mean, if... Well, and, I mean, and by the way, before the people of Castle Pollard text, I know yeah. there's a campaign to get it located to Castle Pollard as well. Really? Yep. Well, if... I think, it, like, educating is the biggest thing. Like, I mean, it's... You're not dealing with something... Like, it could literally kill you if you didn't know what you were doing. So to educate them is brilliant, mm. you know. And and to be honest with you, if if the market slides that way, you know... Your your mechanic today will have to be like a lot of mechanics nowadays are literally their their work is on computers because the car basically is is driven by these computers. The engine is there or the, or the hybrid or it's down there, but it's driven by a computer. Yeah. So fix it. Yeah. Connect your laptop. Yeah. But most like the the mechanic as we knew it is not the mechanic. You know, it's it's, it's very in depth now. You know. Final word goes to John, who is not convinced by EVs and believes hydrogen will be the next fuel. I can't tell you you're wrong, no. but hydrogen, 20 years ago, Hyundai, uh, Honda actually released the Clarity. Mm. And really, the tech hasn't moved a huge amount in 20 years. One of the problems is distributing hydrogen. Yeah, um, It's quite costly as well. 
it seems to work best for larger vehicles, hydrogen trucks, hydrogen buses. Yeah. Now, it could still happen. I don't have a crystal ball, John. Um, I just wouldn't bet on it. I think it'll, left, it'll be left behind if, if the solid-state battery comes along at 1,000 kilometres. Like, what more do you need? Like, mm. you know, in, in most countries, like, what more do you need? I think in 10 minutes. So if you can charge for 1,000 kilometres in 10 minutes and you get down to 500 and you have another... You can plug it back in again for 10 minutes and back up to it. You know, it's, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think a lot of the hydrogen is the storage of it too. You can't store it in a car. It's dangerous. Like, but you can't make enough in demand to, to drive it. So I think it's a good bit off. And as you said, it's not yesterday that it's the start of this. It's years ago. And it's still at the same kind of pace. Mm. Then again... It took more than 100 years to perfect the electric car. And I use perfect in a very subjective sense. Barry, that's all the time we have. It's brilliant. He used to go back selling cars. You'll yes. find him at Barry Martin Motors in Mullingar. Sinead Hubble put the programme together. And we'll chat tomorrow morning from nine. Bye-bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.